intense interest aroused by the public by what was known at the time as the Stiles case has now, thankfully, somewhat subsided. Nevertheless, in view of the worldwide notoriety which attended it, I have been asked, both by my friend Hercule Poirot and the family themselves, to write an account of the whole story. The hope being, of course, that this will silence the sensational rumours that still persist. So, this is my attempt to do just that. To set down a brief explanation of how I came to be connected to the entire affair and what transpired. I had been invalided home from the front and was given a month's sick leave. I had been at a loss as to how to occupy my time as I had no near relations or, or close friends when I ran into a former friend of mine. Hastings? Arthur Hastings? Is that you? John Cavendish, as I live and breathe, how the hell are you, old boy? Oh, can't complain really, all things considered. It has been, well, goodness, how many years since? Oh, too many. I think the last time I saw you was in your mother's place in Essex when I was... A oh, mere fetus. <laughs> you couldn't have been more than 15 last time you were at Styles. Styles. The name was escaping me. Good Lord, you know I believe you're right. What fun it always was spending summers there as a boy. That feels a hundred years ago now. Before the war. Yes, heard you were over there in the thick of things. If only I were your age again. Not out to pasture like an old goat. You're still in your prime, John. You look well. Ha! Turning 45 this year. Old man. Positively long in the tooth, I'm afraid. Well, uh, how long do we have you home for? Well, my leg got pretty banged up, and I got freed from the desperately gloomy convalescent home for a month of freedom. So, depending on how things look, I may be headed back to the front then. A month? Practically an eternity. How wonderful. Where are you spending it? Ah, well, there I'm not sure. I was actually going to look into perhaps finding some accommodations in the city while I'm here. London is no place to recover, old boy. Don't you want to get away from the smoke and the fog? Wait, I just had the most marvellous idea. Why don't you come and join us at Styles? The Mater would be delighted to see you again after all these years. How is your mother? Keeping well, I trust? Oh, yes. <laughs> I suppose you know she has married again. Has she? No, I hadn't heard. Yes, he's a rotten little bounder too. I can tell you, Hastings, it's making life jolly difficult for us all. As for Evie, uh, you remember her, don't you? Uh, no. Oh, she must have been after your time. She's the Mater's factotum, companion, and jack-of-all-trades. <laughs> a great sport. Good old Evie. She's not precisely young or beautiful, but loyal as a bloodhound and as game as they make them. Even Mary likes her. Uh, Mary? Oh, how stupid of me. Mary is my wife. Uh, you will get along with her like a house on fire. Anyway, where was I? <laughs> Your mother's husband? Oh, yes. That fellow. 
He turned up from nowhere on the pretext of being a second cousin or something of Evie's, though she didn't seem to be particularly keen to acknowledge the relationship. The fellow is an absolute outsider, anyone can see that. He's got a great black beard and wears patent leather boots in all weathers. But the mater was drawn to him at once, took him on as a secretary. You know how she's always running a hundred societies. I do remember that being her way, yes. Well, and of course the war has turned hundreds into thousands. No doubt the cat was rather useful to her. But you could have knocked us all down with a feather when, three months ago, she suddenly announced that she and Alfred were engaged. Well, the fellow must be at least twenty years younger than she is. It's simply bare-faced fortune hunting, but there you are. She married him. It must be a difficult situation for you all. Difficult? Damnable, more like. Anyway, must dash. Let us make a plan for your visit before I go. And so, uh, just two short days later, I found myself descending from the train to the platform of a small country station at Stiles, St. Mary. Hello again, Hastings, old boy. Ready for some fresh country air? I can't wait for the peace and quiet, if I'm honest, John. Well, there's certainly enough of that to go around. <sighs> this place makes it so hard to believe that not so far away, such a great war is raging. Oh, it is certainly pretty. And I find ways to entertain myself, drilling with the volunteers twice weekly and helping with the farmers. My wife is a great one for the land. She is up every morning to milk and keeps steadily at it until lunchtime. Sounds like a jolly good life, all in all. It would be perfect altogether if it weren't for that fellow Alfred Inglethorpe. I wonder if we have the time to pick up Cynthia. No, she'll have started from the hospital by now. Uh, Cynthia? Uh, that's not your wife's name. <laughs> Good lord, no. She's my mother's protege, daughter of an old school friend of hers. Cynthia's father was a crooked solicitor who came a cropper, and the girl was left an orphan and penniless. Mother swooped in, and she's been with us nearly two years now. She works at the Red Cross Hospital in Tadminster, just seven miles away. Ah, here we are. And here's good old Evie waiting to greet us. Ah, John, returning home with our wounded hero. In the flesh. Mr. Hastings, Miss Howard. A pleasure, Miss Howard. No pleasure is all mine. Ah, weeds grow like a house of fire. I simply can't keep up with them all. Shall press you into service, Mr. Hastings, if you aren't careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll certainly be happy to make myself useful. No, oh, you will rue the day you said those words, my boy. Oh, Evie, you're a cynic. Where's tea today, inside or out? Out. Far too fine a day to be all cooped up in the house. Come on, then. Put away those gardening gloves. Come and be refreshed. Come along, Hastings. Right this way. Hello, John. Evie, I've been calling you for ages. Well, you know how focused I am when it comes to battling the blight of those weeds. Indeed, I do. 
And you must be the long-lost friend of whom I've heard so much. Well, Arthur Hastings, at your service. A pleasure, Mr. Hastings. I am Mary Cavendish. Do please sit down. Dorcas, our maid, has laid out a beautiful spread for us all. Then you'll write the princess after tea, Alfred, darling. I'll write to Lady Tadminster for the second day myself. Or shall we wait until we hear from the princess? In case of a refusal, I mean. Lady Tadminster might open the first day, and Mrs. Crosby the second. Then there's the Duchess for the school oh, My dear, why don't we put this all aside until after we have had our tea? It's a lovely day outside. Oh, you're so right, Alfred, dear. After tea will do quite well. You are so thoughtful. Why, if it isn't delightful to see you again, Mr. Hastings, after all these years. Alfred, darling, Mr. Hastings, my husband. This is a pleasure, Mr. Hastings. Emily, please allow me. That cushion looks a little damp. Oh, dearest Alfred, you do take such good care of me. Don't you all think so? <laughs> so tell me, Mr. Hastings, is soldiering your regular profession? Oh, no. Uh, before the war, I was in banking. Ah. With who? Lloyd's. And you will be happy to return to that after the war is over? Uh, perhaps. Either that or a, a fresh start altogether. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a wonderful plan. So, Mr. Hastings, do tell me, if you could simply consult your inclination, which profession would you really choose? Well, well, that depends. No secret hobby? Do tell me. You're drawn to something everyone is. <laughs> Usually something absurd. Mary, don't pester our guests so. Not everyone is given to extensive flights of fancy like you are. I'm sorry, Mr. Hastings. I, I didn't mean... Uh, no, no. You're not pestering me at all. I do have a, a secret yen, as it were. Oh, well, do tell us. We are all in suspense. Well, I'm afraid you'll all laugh at me. Perhaps. Well, I've always had a hankering to be a detective. Secretly, of course. The real thing? Scotland Yard? Or Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> well, Sherlock Holmes, by all means. <laughs> but uh, seriously, I... I am drawn to it. I came across a man in Belgium once, and he quite inflamed me about it all. He was a marvellous little fellow. Looked rather like an egg. An egg? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, something about the way his head was shaped. And he, he was a frightful dandy, but he had this idea that good detective work was simply a matter of method of getting your thoughts in order. My system is based on his, though of course I have progressed it rather further. Funny little chap. Terribly clever. 
Like a good detective story myself. What a nonsense had Tommy Rot written, though. All that criminal discovered in the last chapter, everyone dumbfounded. Real crime. You'd know at once. Well, there have been a great number of undiscovered crimes. Oh, I don't mean the police. What do they know? I mean real people at the heart of it, so to speak. The family. You couldn't hoodwink them all. Someone would know. Families are strange and wonderful things. What was that? Uh, Miss Howard, are you implying that if you were mixed up in a crime, let us say a murder, that you'd be able to spot the murderer right off? Of course I should. Mightn't be able to prove it to a pack of lawyers, but I'm certain I'd know. I'd feel it in my fingertips if he came near me. It might be a she. Might, I suppose. Murder is a violent crime. They associate it more with a man. Not in the case of poison. Hello, Cynthia. You're late today. Miss Murdoch, this is our dear old friend, Mr. Hastings. Cynthia is right, though. Women could easily poison. Why, just the other day, Dr. Bowerstein was telling me that... Owing to the general ignorance of the more common poisons among the medical profession, there were probably countless cases of poisoning quite unsuspected. Why, what a gruesome and ghoulish conversation this is. It makes me feel like a goose just walked over my grave. Let me get you a shawl, my dear. Oh, Alfred, you're too kind. Thank you. How thoughtful. This is so warm. It feels divine. Does anyone want to join me for a picnic tea instead of staying at the stuffy table? Why not? I can. So, Miss Murdoch, uh, you're working at the hospital in Tadstock? I do. For my sins. I have a cousin in nursing. She gets frightfully bullied by the sisters on the ward. They quite terrify her. Oh, that's just terrible. Yes, I'm quite thankful, really, that I don't have to deal with that. It's a blessing not to be a nurse, in many ways. So, if you're not a nurse, what do you do? I work in the dispensary. Oh, how many people do you poison? <laughs> oh, Quite literally hundreds. Look at the time, Cynthia. Can you come and write a few notes for me? Yes, Aunt Emily. Supper is at half past seven. We have given up late dinner for quite some time now. Lady Tadminster has done the same. All part of the war effort. Nothing is wasted here, not a scrap. We really are quite a war household, Mr. Hastings. Come. John will show you to your room. John took me to the guest suite in the left wing that had a rather lovely view looking over the park. As I was gazing idly and letting my mind wander, I saw John strolling arm in arm with the lovely Cynthia Murdoch. I heard Miss Inglethorpe call her name from the house. She gave a guilty start and ran back towards the house. John followed at a more leisurely pace. Just as I was about to look away, 
a man stepped out from the shadow of a tree and followed them at a distance. He looked to be about forty, and had a slender build, and a dark, melancholy face. He seemed to be fighting some powerful, deep emotion. As he passed under my window, he looked up, and I recognized him with a start. Despite being fifteen years since our last meeting, I knew in an instant it was Lawrence Cavendish, John's younger brother. I had to wonder what had brought that singular expression to his face. The rest of the evening passed pleasantly enough, and my sleep was filled with dreams of the enigmatic Mary Cavendish and smiling Cynthia on the grass beside me. <laughs> the next day passed peacefully enough. I spent the afternoon roaming the grounds with Mary Cavendish, but when we returned to Stiles around five, we were greeted by an anxious John Cavendish, who was in consult with an equally anxious maid. I don't know nothing else, Mr. Cavendish, and that's the God's honest truth as I live and breathe. I just gone in to offer the mistress a cup of tea, and Miss Howard and she were just at each other like ammer and tongs they were. Yes, Dorcas, I am not blaming you, but what was wrong? What were they saying? Oh, sir, I would never listen in on a conversation. It wouldn't be right. Miss Emily wouldn't have it, sir. No, she wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't, Dorcas, and we would never accuse you otherwise. Hello, Hastings. Mary, a little help here? Dorcas, you look as though you've seen a ghost. Whatever is the matter? Oh, Mrs. Cavendish, it's Miss Howard. She and Mr. Inglethorpe have had a row, and, and Miss Emily got so upset when she tried to speak to her, and they were just carrying on, and, and Miss Howard, well, she said that... I can tell my own tales, Dorcas. Thank you very much. Oh, Miss Howard... I wasn't trying to speak out of turn, I promise. We know you weren't, Dorcas. No one is upset with you. Now, I know you probably have a world of work left to do upstairs. Yes, Mrs. Cavendish. I'll go see to that. I'm sorry again, Miss Howard. Evie, why don't we step into the smoking room and chat there? I really should be going. I know when I'm not welcome. Evie, that's simply not true. Please. True enough. Afraid I said some things to Emily she won't forget or forgive in a hurry. Don't mind if they've only sunk in a bit. Probably water off a duck's back, though. I said right out. You're an old woman, Emily, and there's no fool like an old fool. The man's twenty years younger than you, and don't you fool yourself as to what he married you for. Money. Well, don't let him have too much of it. Farmer Riggs has got a very pretty young wife. Well, just ask your Alfred how much time he spends over there. She was very angry, naturally. I went on. I'm going to warn you whether you like it or not. That man would as soon murder you in your bed as look at you. He's a bad lot. You can say what you like to me, but remember what I've told you. He's a bad lot. What did she say? Darling Alfred, dearest Alfred, wicked calumnies, wicked lies, wicked woman, to accuse her dear husband. <laughs> the sooner I left her house, the better off. So I'm off. Evie, surely you don't have to go now. This very minute, I mean. I'm afraid I do. I'm so very sorry. So very, very sorry. I'll go and check the train schedule for you. I'll go with you. Perhaps we can speak to the mater, John. See if we can talk some sense into her. Excuse us. Well, uh, so sorry this has happened. I, 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 I need to go and attend to, to, uh... Mr. Hastings, 
You're honest. I can trust you? What's that? Oh, I like to think I'm trustworthy, yes. Look after her, Mr. Hastings. My poor Emily. There are a lot of sharks, all of them. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. There isn't one of them that's not hard up in trying to get money out of her. I've protected her as much as I could. Now I'm out of the way, they'll impose upon her. Uh, of course, Miss Howard, I'll I'll do everything I can, but I'm, I'm sure you're excited and, and overwrought. Young man, trust me. I've lived in the world rather longer than you have. All I ask you is to keep your eyes open. You'll see what I mean. That'll be John, ready to take me to the station. Above all, Mr. Hastings, watch that devil, her husband. Yes. I am afraid, very much afraid of what he will do. Like a hawk, Mr. Hastings. Like a hawk. Miss Evelyn Howard's words echoed around in my mind, and I resolved to be on the lookout. There seemed to be an odd unease in the halls of Styles. I was going to take a brief constitutional around the grounds to clear my head when I happened upon a curious tete-a-tete in the front steps. I just feel so very overwrought, though I am very glad to see you. Oh, hello, Mr. Hastings. Uh, didn't hear you coming down the hall. Oh, surprised you didn't. I'm not so great at sneaking around with this gammy leg of mine. Where are my manners? Mr. Hastings, this is Dr. Bowerstein. A, a pleasure, Mr. Hastings. Mrs. Cavendish was just telling me that Miss Emily had an old friend visiting. How long will you be staying? Oh, for at least a few weeks. You have been in the war? Uh, yes, uh, at the front. I am certain you will enjoy the peace and the quiet of our little village. I know that I do. And what brought you down to this part of the world, Doctor? Ah. I, too, was perhaps in need of a little peace and quiet. Oh, hello, Lawrence. Where are you coming from? Hello, Maddie. Hastings, I was just coming to find you. Haven't had the chance to properly catch up with you as yet. Dr. Boerstein, I didn't know you were here. He just stopped by. And I must be going. Mrs. Cavendish, thank you for your hospitality. So soon? Hastings, care to come for a stroll? I thought we could walk down to the village. Mary, tell John I want to speak to him later on, will you? Oh, would love to. Was just on my way out myself. Uh, nice to meet you, Doctor. And you, Mr. Hastings. He's a rather unique fellow. Quite. Mary is just besotted with him. Drives John insane. Bowerstein is a specialist who had some sort of a nervous breakdown and he's down here to recover. Apparently, he's one of the greatest living experts on poisons. Very brilliant man. Yes, a very brilliant man. Look here, Hastings. I've been worried about something and wanted to bend your ear. Good evening, gentlemen. 
It's a beautiful night, isn't it? Good evening, Mrs. Rakes. It certainly is. Head into the village? Yes, just out for a short stroll. <laughs> Enjoy. Both of you. Who was that? She's a pretty girl. Mrs. Rakes. Uh, but that's the one that Miss Howard... What's that? <laughs> Good old Evie. As loyal as they make them. She's quite a force to be reckoned with. Wicked tongue, but golden heart. The house feels different without her around. Have you noticed? I had, actually. It's like a, a lack of energy or of vitality and an increase of tension. Tension. Yes. You're precisely right. Still, it hangs over us like a mountain of doom. Mm. Styles, you mean? What's that? Yes, yes. Styles. If father had just left a better will, not just leaving everything to his wife, we'd all be sorted. John would have it. Things would be different. The Mater wouldn't have such absolute control. I always forget that Emily is your stepmother. Yes, I do too, to be honest. She's the only mother I've ever known. Still, the old man was completely under her spell and left everything entirely to her. Luckily, she's been generous to both me and John. Well, had been generous, I mean. Until her marriage. Oh, surely you get money. Uh, from your writings, I mean. Oh, I get scraps here and there from my poetry, when it gets published. But it doesn't last. And John and Mary are as poor as church mice. So we're all at the mercy of dear Mater's charity. And now it all goes to that sham of a husband. That sounds awfully degrading. You have no idea. The tense atmosphere and varied characters must have gotten to me. I slept fitfully that night. Dreams of bearded doctors brandishing syringes and pretty girls speaking of poison danced through my head, culminating in a circle of crows attacking a white-haired, stiff-backed Emily Inglethorpe. The next morning, Lawrence and I resolved to make a visit to Cynthia in her dispensary. Welcome to my layer of magic. What a lot of bottles. Do you really know what's in all of them? Uh, say something original. Every single person who comes up here says that. We really think of bestowing a prize on the first individual who does not say, What a lot of bottles. And I know the next thing you're going to say is, How many people have you poisoned? <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> if you people only knew how fatally easy it is to poison someone by mistake, you wouldn't joke about it. Now come, come, let's have tea. We've got all sorts of secret stories in that cupboard. N no, Lawrence, hmm. that's the poison cupboard. Oh. The big cupboard. <laughs> that's right. An excellent cup of tea, Cynthia. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I can't give you the grand tour without showing you the best part. Oh. What's that? The balcony view. I'll show you. Coming, Lawrence? You go ahead. I'll finish my tea in here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Your loss. Well, this is a bird's eye view of things. Yes, all the outside wards. It's quite an operation, isn't it? You really enjoy what you do? Of course. It's nice to be in the thick of things. I suppose it is. Well, you've had the grand tour now. Let's not leave Lawrence sitting by himself in there. Ah, just having a look around in here, Cynthia. <laughs> really is rather a treasure trove, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm ready to leave the trove alone and call it tonight. May I ride back with you? Oh, uh, that reminds me. Uh, can we pop by the post office before they close? I'm in desperate need of some stamps. Of course. Let us away. I had observed a different side to Lawrence that afternoon. While always more reserved than his brother, he seemed to come alive around Cynthia. And that afternoon, they had chatted together like children. I was in for a much larger surprise when we stopped by the post office that afternoon, however, in the shape of an old friend. Mon ami Hastings. It is indeed mon ami Hastings. Poirot, this is a very pleasant meeting for me. Miss Cynthia, this is my old friend, Monsieur Poirot, whom I have not seen for years. Oh, we know Monsieur Poirot, but I had no idea he was a friend of yours. Yes, indeed, I know Mademoiselle Cynthia. It is by the charity of that good Mrs. Inglethorpe that I am here. Emily Inglethorpe? My goodness, what a small world. Yes, my friend. She had kindly extended hospitality to seven of my country people who, alas, are refugees from their native land. We Belgians will always remember her with gratitude. You must come and visit me, mon ami. My house is just down the road. It is the one with the admirably square front door on the left-hand side. Well, I'll certainly do that, Poirot. It is a pleasure to see you. Oh. I hope to see you again soon, my friend. He is such a dear little man. He is quite a character. And such a dandy. You have been entertaining a celebrity unawares. He is one of the most celebrated detectives in the world. And for the rest of the journey home, I regaled them with tales of the exploits of one Hercule Poirot. As we arrived home, an agitated Mrs. Inglethorpe emerged from her boudoir. Oh, so you're back. Is anything wrong, Aunt Emily? Certainly not. Why should there be? Dorcas? Yes, ma'am. Bring some stamps into my boudoir. Yes, ma'am. Right away. Um, begging your pardon, ma'am, but you're looking awful tired. Don't you think you ought to go to bed? Perhaps you're right, Dorcas. Yes. Uh, no, uh, not now. I've some letters I must finish by post time. Have you lighted the fire in my room as I told you? Yes, ma'am. Then I'll go to bed directly after supper. Lawrence, what on earth is wrong with her? Lawrence? Oh, I, I suppose he didn't hear me. 
I need to go and check. Excuse me. Uh, Cynthia, do you fancy a game of tennis before supper? Would get us out of the house. Oh, smashing. The atmosphere is like an electrical charge. I don't like it. Let me go and change and get my racket. I agreed with Cynthia. The tension in the house was now quite palpable. As I grabbed my racket and headed down to the court, I couldn't escape hearing voices. It was Mary Cavendish, in a tone of a woman who is desperately trying to control herself. Then you won't show it to me? My dear Mary, it has nothing to do with that matter. Then show it to me. I tell you, it is not what you imagine. It does not concern you in the least. Of course. I might have known you would shield him. The voices faded out as I moved out of earshot. Cynthia awaited me, grinning ear to ear, a direct foil to the tragic angst I had heard in the voice of Mary Cavendish. There you are. It's been a real old bust-up. She found him out at last. But... Aunt Emily, she's finally seen him for who he really is, her wicked husband, I mean. She's going to send him away and never speak to him again. Isn't it wonderful? As I looked at Cynthia's smiling face, I had a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach, and a feeling that everything was actually going terribly wrong. I didn't know how very soon I would be proved correct. Thank you for listening to Murder in Your Ear. We appreciate you. To receive access to specialized content and to continue to support our quality programming, we invite you to visit our brand new Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash murder in your ear. That's www.patreon.com forward slash murder in your ear. And as always, find us on Facebook and Instagram at NRM Performance and Twitter at Murder Ear.